filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. So I don't mean to just drop a plug for a different MLS content creator right off the bat, but if you're not subscribing to the daily kickoff from MLSsoccer.com that our friend J. Sam Jones writes, you are completely missing out because I had a, I don't know, it's probably the closest I will ever feel to being on LSD reading his column today, his, his kickoff newsletter. He went through, he found a scenario in which there is a 10-way tie for second in the Eastern Conference in MLS at the end of this regular season. And I read through it all, and it was ridiculous and amazing and confusing, and I cried a little, and I, it, it, I'm not a religious person. That was a religious experience for me, seeing that table at the end of it. <laughs> I don't. I thought the the uh, t- soccer related time you would most feel like LSD, like you were on LSD, happened last season when you were shown dancing on the jumbotron of uh, an empty Audi field. Uh, it was not an empty Audi field. It was an empty practice field in Florida, and uh, that's still my pin tweet, and it probably will be forever. But that is that was not like <laughs> LSD. That was something else. I don't know what that was, but. I think my thing with with Sam's scenario, it's the second place on the internet that I have encountered the uh, proposal, uh, some proposed outcome of this MLS season, uh, including the Red Bulls winning at Audi Field. And I feel like I was like, that's the most outlandish of the results projected on here. So it's just (laughs) not going to happen. So I'm feeling that level of confident, at least. But also, like, it is kind of silly that, like, a team like Miami is still theoretically mathematically relevant they're like this year's dc united of last year if you remember we got to the season finale like well i've done three weeks of articles about how dc is mathematically still in it and guess what they still are and miami is now i I can't i can't support anything good happening to a team coached by phil neville so i cannot support this 10-way tie for second no that's fair i i'm not necessarily rooting for it to happen because I would much rather DC United just win all their games, obviously, and they are higher than several teams that would have to be tied with them at the end in this scenario. But just the the MLS of it all was was so it, it was a deep experience for me, man. I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not a drug user uh, habitually, and you can tell because this is as close as I likely get to it. <coughs> Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Chaos Standings podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United, among other things. Uh, Tonight, we are going to have a guest on from 
the Nashville SC podcast, Pharmaceutical Soccer. So stick around for that. Um, before we do that, though, of course, Ben, what are you drinking? I'm having another one of my uh, herbal teas, so non-caffeinated teas tonight. Uh, this one, I can't remember if I've had this one on the show or, yet or not. I've, I go through a couple, but this one is Quince Eucalyptus. And so it's got some tartness from the quince. I don't know what eucalyptus tastes like, but it melds well into this tea. Uh, yeah, it's a nice evening time uh, uh, drink. Nice. Cold brew. Jason. Cold brewed. Oh. Oh. Uh, so you guys have seen me. You've noticed that I'm drinking out of a coffee mug. Uh, this is a. This is not the proper venue for this uh, drink. Uh, I am out of proper rocks glasses and wanted to use. Uh, a large ice cube and was sizing up glasses and realized that the coffee mugs were the only ones that were appropriate. Uh, I am drinking uh, El Padrino uh, Reposado tequila on the rocks out of a coffee mug. I I am very use whatever glass you have on hand. I am not a, a, a glass essentialist. Whereas I, I think I feel like Adam is the most glass essentialist am, out of the members of this podcast. I am not fully glass essentialist i will say that there are drinks that are served in certain glasses for certain reasons like a martini that's served up it's like this, that so you can hold the stem and it doesn't get Adam, hot this in your is hand already making you is making ben's point for him just yes. the last sentence of out of fine <laughs> a coffee mug works just as well as a rocks glass though and I'm, I'm actually tempted now next week uh a couple weeks ago i ordered a mug from our fellow sb nation site uh cartilage free captain uh, because they, a few years ago now, they had their recurrently generated AI name soccer league where they just put every team from the top four divisions, maybe even more than that, of English and Welsh soccer into a, a an AI, basically, and had it spit out names. And then they wrote stories about some of them, like back histories and, and all that. And the, the ridiculous story of Waji Villa just in the the nature of that chaotic logo just grabbed me and it was so silly and over the top that I had eventually I had to get the mug and I, I remembered it a few weeks ago and I was like, yes, now is the time and it's still there. And I got the mug last week and it's wonderful. I love it. Um, anyway, are you, are you using the mug? I'm not, but I wish I was yeah. right now. Next week, I'm going to have to make sure I make my drink in my Waji Villa mug. No, I'm drinking a spot in Oktoberfest out of the bottle tonight. Mm -hmm. Personally, you're drinking a spot in Oktoberfest. Yes, it is a brand That's new one out of my fridge. Are you sure? Ben, it how was, do you feel about this? It was left over from a, no, no, a, I mean, a mountain cabin trip, mm, but it was unopened over. until tonight. A leftover spot in Oktoberfest. You would have thought. Only, only you have the the weird proclivity for drinking one same beer for multiple weeks in a row, like the same bottle of beer for several weeks in a row on this podcast. I don't know. It sounds like uh, it sounds like Adam's doing exactly what I did, which in turn means that the bit shifts, uh, the power balance of the bit shifts from you two against me to me and you, Ben, against Adam. I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. At all. Okay. Yep. <laughs> how did you get over to Jason's house and steal his one opened Oktoberfest? All right. To to save me <laughs> from them, uh, let's get to our guest. DC United are back on buzzard point this weekend as MLS kicks off what can only be called a truly hellish 
run into the end of the regular season. Like most teams, DC are staring down six games over a 22-day period, uh, which might not seem as bad as the five games in 15 days that they have to, to kick that off. It all starts this Saturday when DC United welcome Nashville SC to Audi Field for the first time. Uh, if you can't make it down to Buzzard Point, watch it on NBC Sports Washington Plus or Teleexitos on television. Uh, if you're a more of the streaming type, watch it for free on DCUnited.com if you're in the local region or on ESPN Plus if you are further afield. Uh, DC will be looking for their first win off of the second year club from Tennessee, uh, second year MLS version, I should say. Of course, they have a little bit of history that goes beyond that. Uh, Nashville currently second place in the Eastern Conference, seven points ahead of fifth place DC United. Valer Shabila talks about the boys in gold on the pharmaceutical soccer radio show and podcast. He's been kind enough to join us tonight. Valer, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. Um, I'm excited to not only be on the show, but be in D.C. tomorrow night, actually. So very hey. excited to be in town. All right. Safe trip, man. Thank nice. you. Hopefully I'll run into you at the, the stadium. What are you drinking tonight? Um, you know, I'm, I'm drinking water because, as you can see, I am in the car about to go watch the new Bond movie after this. So I figured it would be best if I just brought the, my water with me, you know. Uh, so. Very easy drink for tonight. Yeah, that is a very reasonable and safe and mature decision. And <laughs> we certainly respect that. Um, if, even if, if we are if I was not at making... home, I would probably be drinking some light beer. Um, well, one specific light beer. But, you know, we're not going to mention names. Okay. <laughs> you don't want to buzz market. I won't, I, won't let, I won't force you, force it on you. One thing I need to ask you right off the top, though, is about nicknames. I know from looking through the pharmaceutical soccer archives, you guys prefer boys in gold. But when I was looking up nicknames, I saw one on Wikipedia, the only one listed on Wikipedia as a nickname for Nashville SC. And it made me kind of turn my head sideways a little bit. And so I have to ask, is the six strings a thing? Does no. anybody call them that? No, 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 no. Let me stop you right there. That, that is not a thing. <laughs> Nobody should try to make it a thing. Um, I'm assuming they're talking about the guitar strings um, or, or I guess other instruments as well. Uh, but no, no, that is not a thing. That is not something we claim. I can genuinely tell you, I've been around Nashville SC since the very first time they fielded as Nashville SC, uh, which is about almost five years ago. And nobody in person or on the internet, well, maybe once on the internet, but never in person have I heard somebody refer to the team as the sixth string. It's just the boys in gold. That's the only thing. Maybe coyotes. I'll let you have that one. But, you know, that's more of a joke. But, you know, uh, the six no, string, I think, I that's think not that, something we claim. Good. I think that's that's a terrible nickname. Too. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was like, the six strings is so bad. Well, um, and, and the five ask. string is like two hours drive from us, you know, the, the, the whole right. Atlanta thing. So, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, it also sounds a little too close to the sixth string which is not where you want to be ever. Um, so looking at Nashville's record, obviously, I think the, the number of losses this year jumps out. They have three losses, fewest in MLS, but 14 draws, the highest in MLS. What gives? Yeah, you know, it's, 
draws are are part of this identity i feel like we're just like we're just gonna claim that we're just a draws team that we just we're going for the most draws in the season which i think is uh is um maybe Chicago, like right? yeah i think it's 18 i think there's 18, a season someone had right. a season that yeah they had more draws than any other result right in that same season chicago however did not finish in the playoffs they were second to right. last i believe yeah. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where draws can be either positive or negative, depending on the way you look at them. Obviously, they could be frustrating. That's, I think, the biggest part for National SC fans. But honestly, on the roads, on the road, I'll take a draw any day. That, that's just me personally. So, Valere, uh, I, I saw the news. It's not recent news anymore, but it's still big news when you when uh, ownership groups are changing. Uh, some of the uh, I, I don't think it'd be that controversial to to call them one of the least popular ownership uh, folks in MLS are leaving your club and going to inflict Orlando City. I'm talking about the Wilfs, uh, of right. course, who failed to buy, uh, create Minnesota and wanted to stay in MLS. How do you feel about them leaving? And does uh, uh, John Ingram have uh, replacements lined up for uh, to keep supporting the team? So I'm going to try to answer this with as much info as I have. What we have been told since day one is that their actual ownership of the team is very minimal. And based on what I know about John Ingram, based on what everybody knows about John Ingram, I think he'll just cover that himself. Um, what they had in the team was nothing more than just a show to put for MLS to say, hey, part of our ownership group has owned a team before in sports, in professional sports in North America. They didn't really have any say in many things or anything, probably. Like I said, it was most likely just for... for uh, for Nashville to go up to Commissioner Garber and the rest of MLS and say, hey, look, we have some experience on our side. Um, I don't think them leaving is going to leave any sort of mark. I don't think they've left any sort of mark in this market. And I mean, I'm not being like cruel or anything. I'm just being completely honest. I just really don't think they had – this wasn't some sort of, uh, you know, their next Minnesota. I think Orlando is more likely that than, than Nashville ever was. Uh, Valera, I'm thinking about DC United. The last time we came out of, we're in the international break still. The last time DC came out of it, even though the players that the FIFA says that the international break is like, oh, it's it's over in time for your players to come back and play, and it was like, well, really, they're made of like flesh and bone. They have to be rested at some point. So DC rested some guys, even though they were back, they still rested. So I'm kind of curious um, with Nashville's internationals, what has been the approach in this scenario now that these players end up having three games in one window uh, that thankfully, I I think this is the last one of those, uh, which I'm so thankful for because someone's, someone's just going to end up like in the hospital over this. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and, and we've seen uh, players internationally and, and I guess locally talk against that, you know, Thibaut Courtois Mm -hmm. says something probably this week, um, I am, I am also curious to see what Gary Smith does. The one time we had this issue happen, um, when, when we had this kind of longer international window in terms of games being played, Gary Smith and the Nashville team was in dire need of those players to come back and play. 
th- there was a there was a very very long list of injured players as well as um some covid restrictions because the two games were in canada so mm-hmm. this was back back in the last international break and Gary smith was forced to put uh alistair johnston and i believe Annabelle godoy uh, was injured but but uh Alistair Johnston and Walker Zimmerman kind of came back and played immediately for Nashville, even though they were gone on international break and played full minutes. I I think it's going to depend a lot on what happens Wednesday night uh, with mm. the Canada uh, with the Canada game and with the, with the U.S. game. I would not put it past Gary uh, Gary Smith to put those players back in because all four of them are actually starters and very important to the Nashville team. Um, in terms of Walker Zimmerman, um, he literally captained the United States. Um, mm-hmm. He's one of our main guys. Gary Smith appreciates uh, Walker's kind of on-field and off-field I- advantage, and I think he would want him at least in the squad. Somebody like Randall Leal, who is another very big part of Nashville, doesn't seem to be really putting in the minutes for for Costa Rica, so I don't see an issue with him p- playing. Uh, if I had to guess, Alistair Johnson will probably play because he's young and seems like he can't stop running because he'll play 90 minutes after 90 minutes for Canada and NSC. I can, def- I can probably see Gary Smith resting Annabelle Godoy, who is uh, Panama's captain? Uh, there was a really cool moment with where Panama played U.S. U- the USA, and both of the captains were NSC players. Really cool moment for us here in the market. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so so I, I can see Anibal Godoy resting just because of his age and the amount of minutes actually he played. Um, and then maybe Walker Zimmerman gets rested, but I fully expect Alistair Johnson and Randall Leal to be starting in DC. So Valerian, after your team's uh, explosive victory against uh, Inter-Miami scored five goals. Goals have been a little harder to come by uh, the past couple of games, three draws, two scoreless draws. Um, I mean, it probably won't be a problem scoring against DC United because CJ Sapong always puts up two or three goals against uh, DC United. But uh, are you worried in general about uh, the attack? I mean, you did. It didn't seem like the defense was the problem while uh, Zimmerman was away. So what's going on with the attack right now? I think it's. I, I think it's playing away. The game against Chicago, for example, Gary Smith described that as the worst or one of the worst professional soccer pitches he's ever seen in his life. The man has been coaching for over 20 years, I think. So take that as you will. He didn't even want to put Hani Mukhtar in because. He was scared he was going to get injured. That's how bad the pitch was. Um, when this team goes away, they look for a result. They're playing a way that is very, uh, very much pragmatic, pretty, very much go in there and get a point. I know I say that after you said the thing about Inter-Miami where we scored five goals away, but that's a way more of an on- anomaly than it is a, a rule. Um, so, so I think a lot of that has to do with the way they shape up and the way they play. I would love for CJ Sapong to get a goal right now. Uh, I think it's been four games that he hasn't scored, which I know, like, in reality, four games isn't really that much. But for a striker that was scoring at the, at the rate he was scoring at the beginning of the season, you would really love him love him to go out and get a goal. I am not very worried. Uh, we've seen this happen, uh, whether it was this season or, or, I mean, last season was a whole different attacking mess. But, but for this season, you know, what, what has been happening is that 
when Hani Mukhtar doesn't score, CJ Stefanik shows up. And when Randall Leal doesn't show, then Hani Mukhtar covers up. And so on and so forth. And even guy like Daniel Rios, who came with us from the USL squad, has been scoring here and there or assisting or doing something. So I think the options are there. Oh, and let me mention the record signing, the se- almost 7 million signing, uh, Ake Lobo, who's, who doesn't even can't even get into the team right now uh, because of how well this attack is doing. So I'm not really worried if these next few games, um, you know, go by and CJ still hasn't, hasn't got his goal. We're going into the playoffs with a couple more, maybe three more, like nil-nils, then I will be more worried. At the moment, I think this team is is performing to the level we expect, we way higher than we expected them to attacking-wise. And I think... Uh, I think a a game like DC United might be a little enticing to go out and get a few goals. I think you'll be surprised because as good as Nashville's attack has been this year, which it's third in the East in goals scored behind only New England and a little team called DC United. (laughs) Uh, But, but DC's defense is a lot stronger than people think they, they get out and they press and uh, Adam don't give CJ Sapong any billboard material. I won't. This is this is just between us, right? No, no one's going to yeah, hear yeah. this. I'm texting uh, him as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> no, he do, he also doesn't need the bulletin board material because he does always score. Going back to as long as I can remember him being in the league, when he was in Kansas City, he scored against DC every time. It's unreal. Um, I want to talk about the last time these two teams met when Sapong had the first two goals for Nashville in a 5-2 result. Uh, my abiding memory of that is defensive breakdowns and unfathomable goalkeeping uh, blunders from on the DC United side. I'm curious what your memory of that five, two result was. Well, (laughs) I was in the stands. So, you know, Uh, my memory of the actual event going on was probably very, very happy. I go back and watch most games because I'm in the supporters end. I love the supporters end. You know, I'm, I'm we're a supporter show that we don't, we do in Nashville. So I, I, I will never lose that really. So, but I'll, I'll tell you this, when I rewatched the game and kind of took it in more uh, level-headed and less intoxicated, I guess, uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think it wasn't as, um, as dominant of a performance as I thought it was. I mean, obviously, 5-2 is a big result, but you're right. I think, I think the D.C. goalkeeper, uh, forgot his name right now, not Bill Hamid, but... No, it was uh, John Kempen. Kempen, that's it. Um, I, think, I think he could have done better. Um, and I think I think the style of DC really allowed Nashville to go out and and do that a little bit because what you get with that expansive with that you know beautiful way of playing you get a lot of uh, you, they kept going DC kept going it was two 0 down I believe and and they kept going they kept attacking like it was the last ten minutes and even though it was for the first you know twenty minutes or so and that allowed Nashville to get a couple here and there so. I really think other than I think I agree with you and the way you viewed the game, uh, I would give a little bit more of um, credit to our attack, to the national attack, just simply because they are at that moment, they were at their best. I mean, the game before that at home, they scored five goals as well against the Chicago fire. So, and then they went out away, I believe to Atlanta scored two goals then. Um, And, and, and they kept, they, they just, at that moment, they were at their peak. They were at their height, and they were performing at a level that I don't think many MLS teams would be able to keep them um, without scoring multiple goals. So I'll give a little bit more credit, but I do agree with you overall that I think if DC maybe had Bill Hamid, it probably wouldn't be a 5-2. Uh, 
uh, you'll probably be looking at a, a closer game, a much closer game. Just in general, looking at, you know, I, I look at Nashville's results and it's, I think, one loss in 10. Like Adam said at the top, only three losses all season. Um, when a team gets this far into the year and they've only got three losses, you have to think, like, there's no accident. They're not up there. It's not some team that's high, flying high that doesn't belong up there. They've only lost three out of, like, 20-something games. That's just a team that's good. Um, I guess my question here is just, how good do you think this team is now that you've gotten a load of everyone from the East, you've seen the revs, you've seen whether it's DC or, or some of the other teams that are uh, doing well. We, you know, we talked about Atlanta uh, briefly in, in their, uh, their nickname situation. Um, where, where is this Nashville team? What, what do you think the ceiling is as far as their aspirations this year? I mean, honestly, I think the players kind of said it and the coaching staff kind of said it in the beginning of the season that they wanted to win MLS Cup. And we all kind of were like, oh, yeah, that's the cliche of like, oh, you know, we we always want to win. We want to win all the time. And uh, every game is a must win and all those other cliches. I thought it was just one of those again. But then this this team came out and played. They are second in the East for a reason. Like you said, they have lo- they have the fewest losses for a reason. Uh, because look, when you look at it and going into the playoffs, I think Nashville is probably one of the least favorite teams to, that that New England wants to play. I don't think I, I don't think there are many teams in this league that New England is like we don't want to play you even at home. When Nashville went to a New England, Bruce Arena was very frustrated because it was a boring, terrible nil-nil. Nashville didn't even play their their star player. They just went for it and and went and got the result. If this was the playoffs, you get into after the 90th minute and you go into the you go into extra time. Those these those the New England players are going to be frustrated, and and Nashville will probably be able to get a result. And that's the one thing I will say about this team is that maybe they'll pick up a loss or two by the end of the season, a couple more. They will probably still have the record for the fewest losses in, in MLS this season. And what I would say is that still in the playoffs, even if they don't finish second, maybe they finish third, in the playoffs, they are still somebody you don't want to play. Nashville has been able to get results wherever they need it. They are one of the few teams that has beaten New England. They've gotten four, four points out of six available against New England. Uh, they've beaten Philadelphia at home. Um, they, they, they've beaten all these kind of big dogs of, of the Eastern Conference. If you look down that list, other than Orlando, all of those teams have lost to Nashville, um, or, or at least, you know, in Orlando's case, have, have Nashville has not lost to them. Um, ironically enough, the teams that Nashville lose, lost to this season have been have been not in the playoffs position. They they've been inter Miami, New York, and uh, and Atlanta. So you know, I know you mentioned Atlanta being a little bit of a good team, but I don't really see it. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think this is their year yet. But going back to Nashville, I think. I think, I, and I, I hope I'm not biased. This is something that I've I've heard national folks say. Uh, I think Nashville at home is 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 something n- n- no team in MLS wants to do. And then uh, and then as well as going to New England or anything like that, I don't think Nashville is the team they would pick. They would they would really hope it's somebody else. So uh, the potential for this team is 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 really high. And I think I think they are an MLS Cup contender. Um, and I, I don't think I'm saying anything too wild when I when I predict that. So we mentioned that that 5-2 result. DC United had to rotate a bunch of players and had a bunch of injuries in that game. Uh, they did not run their press at the level they normally 
would like to, and certainly at home, you can expect them to. How does Nashville handle a high pressing system? I don't think Nashville has struggled against a high pressing system. I, I think that is something that they are really organized at the back. Uh, last season, I, I believe they had they had conceded the, the few, one of the fewest goals in MLS, probably top five um, last season. This season, the defense has been as good, except for one one specific issue, which is set pieces. For some reason. Um, for some reason, this defense cannot deal with set pieces. Whether or not Walker Zimmerman is there hasn't seemed to solve the issue. Um, so as far as the press goes, I think Nashville is very organized. And Nashville is one of those teams that every single player defends. It's That's why you see players um, like Ake Loba not start games. It's not because Ake Loba doesn't have the attacking ability or Ake Loba is not a goal scorer or any of those. It's because Ake Loba currently is still learning how to be a defender. In this Gary Smith system, everybody defends. You see Hani Mukhtar, an MVP candidate uh, with, with over 20 goals and assists um, on the season, and he's still out there gunning back to, to get to get a tackle in or, or to, sa- to save something from a counterattack. Uh, CJ Sapunk, same thing. Every single player defends in a Gary Smith system, and not only do they defend, they are very organized doing it. So I think it's going to be very hard to – kind of break Nashville um, or, or press Na- Nashville into playing um, DC style. You know, it, Nashville doesn't really um, need the ball that much to score. So so even even if DC has the ball and, and they are kind of going at it, Nashville will let DC have the ball. I, I, they'll let them have the – they'll ha- let them have 60%, 70% possession. But, hey, the, the, the 20 30% that they have – they'll really make DC pay for it. And I think that's, uh, that's where Nashville is, is at best is, is when teams actually come and play Nashville. You know, uh, we've seen a lot of teams sit back and that's where Nashville struggles a little bit, breaking those teams. Uh, but when teams are coming at Nashville, like DC, uh, whether it's, it's pressing or on the other end, when they are attacking, uh, I think that's where, where the Nashville players thrive a little bit because there's a lot more open spaces and, uh, and those smart passes from the back, I would say, uh, for DC, they should probably watch out for those because uh, somebody like Dax McCarty, somebody like even even uh, Dan Lovitz, the defenders, um, Dan Lovitz, and and even Walker Zimmerman, if he plays, those players are known for those long passes that end up in pretty much one on one situations uh, with, with CJ Sapong and the goalkeeper or or Hani Mukhtar and the goalkeeper. Uh, so if you're high pressing them, I would say watch out for those kind of areas, but. Uh, Definitely don't text anyone from DC and I don't let them know I said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get Steve Birnbaum on the horn real quick here. <laughs> Either him or Andy Nahar. We'll see. Um, I'd be derelict if, if I didn't ask you about Joe Willis. He was a backup here in DC for years, fan favorite uh, for, I think, very good reasons. Um, how are y'all liking him there in Nashville, especially with that mustache? Man, I <laughs> we love Joe Willis. He has been he has currently the uh, most clean sheets in MLS uh, this season. Last season, he finished with the most clean sheets in MLS, um, and and it's a more of a defensive effort all around. I don't think it's just him, but he's been able to save Nashville. I don't know, maybe ten points this season. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of times where the game ended in a tie because of a Joe Willis save or the game ended in a win because of Joe Willis save. 
he has an assist this season already. Uh, so that's fun. Um, there was an assist against Atlanta. Uh, not many goalkeepers end up with this. And it, was, it wasn't a secondary assist. It was an actual assist that uh, resulted in a goal. So, um, but, but obviously not, not counting the assist as he's a goalkeeper. He has exceeded any expectation, every expectation set to him by the coaching staff, by the fans, by the media, by everyone. Uh, one of the things that um, when Joe Willis was drafted to Nashville, or, or uh, sorry, was was um, kind of acquired by Nashville, Nashville also drafted a player in the expansion draft, uh, a goalkeeper, uh, Zandejas, who ended up going to Minnesota after half a season because the idea was Zandejas will be building for a season and then he will take over Joe Willis. But the way Joe Willis was playing just left no room and there was no open cup or anything like that. So uh, Zendaya's ended up leaving. But long story short, Joe Willis is one of two players that has played every single minute for Nashville SC. The other one is Dave Romney, uh, who has been just as good uh, in the in the center back position. Um, and I, I really find it hard to believe that you know, uh, Joe Willis is not in the conversation for, you know, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't see how anybody wouldn't put Joe Willis up there for goalkeeper of the year. Just simply, if you look at those numbers, um, it, it, he, he's definitely in the top two or three goalkeepers in MLS, the way he's performing. Um, and, and I don't think anybody expected him to be. I, I'll be the first one to tell you, I did not expect him to be that. He, he was good in Houston, don't get me wrong, but he was not top five or top and maybe goalkeepers in MLS. He is now for sure. Right. When he was in DC, he was very clearly behind Bill Hamid. Um, and it, there was no controversy there. It, right. there, it, there were clear reasons why. I think now, um, even if he is performing at a higher level, I think the the way people view Nashville's system, if Bill Hamid is any indication, and he got one goalkeeper of the year, but could have won it a, at least one or two other times. Um, but people view defensive systems that don't yield a lot of chances uh, with skepticism when it comes to their goalkeepers. And so I think that that might be playing into it for, for Joe Willis. I I hope he gets angry and takes some pictures because those are great. (laughs) We all love angry Joe Willis. Uh, Last question before we get you out of here. If you were standing across from, uh, from the Nashville technical area, you had to come up with a game plan against NSC what would you be focusing on? How would you go at them? I would, honestly, I would just make sure everything in my power to not let them concede first. I will go out there to their end and try to get every single set piece on earth and just cross that ball into the box. And one of those will go in. As things have been going on for Nashville, there has been... Every game that Nashville has conceded in the last probably 10 games, I'm not looking at numbers. I'm just guessing at the moment. But every game, every time Nashville has conceded in any game, one of the goals has been from a set piece. It is a, it is a clear, clear problem in this NSC system. I don't understand why it's happening. I don't understand why they're not stopping it. But there's something going on where every set piece is a dangerous, dangerous uh, attack on Nashville. So I would go there try to dive as much as possible in the final third, uh, try to get as many corners as possible. Every time I have a chance to make sure that ball is still and I get to cross it in, I will do that. And and that will probably be the easiest route to beat Nashville. But most importantly, I would not let them score first. 
If Nashville scores first, the game is over. And I don't mean that, you know, I, I know DC has the power to come back, but the way this team has been playing, other than the Orlando game, that was the first time that Nashville went up by two goals and didn't end up winning uh, winning the game. So so if Nashville scores first, they feel good, they're confident, if, especially if it's CJ Sapong, you know, he can go back and get another one. Um, I, I think if it's an open shootout, DC is not going to win that. It's just... It's just simple as that because of the Nashville defense, because of the way Nashville plays, they will score two and then they will sit and park the bus. Even if it means 80 minutes of parking the bus, they will do it. That is the way, that is the way Nashville plays. They get two goals at most, you know, and, and, and if you keep, keep allowing them to, they'll get more um, obviously, but I would say don't let them score, go to the other end and flop around and get a free kick. Well, we've talked a lot on this show about how DC United always feels that urgency to get the first goal. It didn't work out last time in Nashville, which they did score from a corner in the opening minutes. There you go. Um, yeah. Didn't end up working out. They they faded very quickly, but we'll see how it goes uh, this weekend on Buzzard Point. Uh, Valer, thanks so much for, for taking the time to come on today. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can find the podcast at Pharma Soccer. Uh, you can find me at on Twitter uh, or Instagram or Facebook for the podcast. Personally, um, uh, you can find me at Mr. Shabilla148 on Twitter. But if you search my name, Valere, I promise you there are not many of us. I'll pop up right away. <laughs> so you won't, you, won't have to, uh, you won't have to look hard for that. Uh, I will say that I help run an organization uh, here in Nashville that helps give access to soccer uh, of soccer to kids who can't afford it. And if you would like to help us out, that would be the best way you can help me and help soccer grow here in the United States. Uh, we're, we're more of a children organization that has soccer than a soccer organization or a club. Uh, we're called Kicking It 615. You can find us at ki615.org or at Kicking It 615 on all social media. Uh, we're a local nonprofit and we'd appreciate any help we can get. That's awesome. I encourage anyone who's able to, to, to throw a few bucks your way on that. Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Our patrons will get early access to this episode before it comes out to the general public, uh, at least by a couple days. So, you know, it's a nice perk. I, th- I think anyway, uh, find us on Twitter at black and red U for the website at filibuster DCU for the podcast. We all have our personal ones. They're very easy to find um, retweeted and, and mentioned in various places on those Twitter feeds. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, tell a friend about the show. We always love word of mouth. It has always been the best advertising and always will be. For Jason and Ben and thanking Belair one more time, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. I could really go for a spot in Oktoberfest. I got one. You want it? <laughs>